next three weeks, we're going to be looking at the topic of Christian essentials, and especially in regard to the church. And I'm going to be looking at certain things in regard to the church because there are so many things that we could look at in regard to Christian essentials in our lives. Uh, but we're going to be looking at the essentials of sprouting, growing, and then giving. And uh, those topics are in regard to uh, church attendance, uh, in regard to small groups, and then in regard to service. And so at the end of this study, my hope is that we are committed to those things that are going to help us grow uh, and going to help us serve and reach out into our communities. There are 12 principles that the AFLC was founded upon. And the very first of these is the focus of our text today here in Psalm 111, as well as this sermon. It reads, According to the word of God, the congregation is the right form of the kingdom of God on earth. The psalmist here was in favor of assembling. He saw many benefits for congregations joining together on a regular basis. In fact, 20 separate times in the psalms, it refers to the gathering of the congregation or the assembly. Now, I recognize this morning that this sermon is really preaching to the choir, who I should be preaching to is those who are sitting at home or hopefully they're listening online. But for you who are here today, I hope that this will strengthen your understanding of why it's important to be part of a church body and to attend regularly. Let's read the first verse of Psalm 111. It says, Praise the Lord, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Note here that the psalmist is not by himself as he praises the Lord with his whole heart. He's joining with the company of the upright. He's in the congregation. Hebrews 10.25 tells us to not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And so some people's habit is to isolate, to be by themselves when they read scripture, to be by themselves when they sing praise. And there's nothing wrong with that aspect of it. Those are things that we all can do and should be doing in our daily lives, praising the Lord, reading scripture, praying. But there's something about gathering in the congregation that the Lord wanted to promote in his word here. We're warned, actually, in the Old and New Testament that we are not meant to worship alone. And three reasons are given. First of all, we study the works of the Lord. Is there anyone in the Bible who had seen mightier works that the Lord had done besides David? David had seen God skip over all of his older brothers and choose him as one to be the heir apparent to the throne of Israel. God had also used David to defeat the mighty Goliath. He had won countless victories by the hand of the Lord as he faced his enemies. He had prevented Saul from killing him earlier on when Saul recognized that he was about to be deposed and his family would no longer continue in the line as kings. And yet David did just not sit at home thinking about all the things that the Lord had done for him. He joins the congregation to study all about the mighty works that God had done in the past and was continuing to do in the lives of his people. And not only is there a study of God's work, 
uh, works, but also the study of God's work. It says, God's wor- uh, great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work. Singular. And so we study the works of the Lord, the things that God has done, but we also study the work of the Lord, the great work of salvation that he's done. Now this gathering together of people is not something new. God had caused this to happen because he knows what people are like. We are like sheep that forget very easily, and we need to be reminded over and over again of some of the basic things of the faith. That's why it's good to read your Bible over and over, not just one time through, I read that already and set it down, because God shows us new things all the time. Even though you might think, well, I heard that story already, or didn't we just hear about this last week? These are things that we need to be constantly reminded of. Reminds me of when I was a kid in Wisconsin, and uh, we lived in the country, but we didn't own a farm, and so many times as a kid, I would hire myself out to different farmers. And one of the things that I would hire myself out to do was to help with the milkings that happened multiple times a day. And once in a while, a farmer that I was working for would buy a cow that was mature. He'd buy this cow from another farmer. And that cow had been in a particular barn, and cows, when they come in, they come in from the pasture for the milkings, and they all know which spot they're supposed to go to. They have stanchions that they stand in, and then we go around and milk them. Now that particular cow that was from a different farmer had a place that she knew. (laughs) She knew, well, this is my spot. And so we'd bring this new cow in, and she'd try to fight the other cow that was already in that particular spot, and we'd have to teach her to go to the spot that we wanted for her, an empty stanchion. And so over and over again, we'd be leading her to this place. And many times we are like that. (laughs) We're saved, we've been purchased by a new owner, right? (laughs) But we have this spot that we continually want to go to. And the Lord needs to train us and teach us and remind us by repetition over and over so that we can go to the right spot. And that's what we're studying. We're studying the lives of people similar to us who had struggles, who had problems in finding that right spot. Even David himself had major failings, a major fall. He was a human being, and as we study his life and look at the fact that he came before the sanctuary, even in the midst of his sin, and continued to be in the midst of the people that could challenge him. That's why Nathan came to him, one of the prophets, who was part of the sanctuary, calling him to account. And so we pray to see some of these things applied in our lives as well as we study the works of the Lord as well as the great work of his salvation. Second, we see that he provides for those who fear him. We see this in verse 5. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. And so, the majority of this provision is done through the congregation. Did you know that the majority of nursing homes and hospitals were ministries of a particular church before the 18th century? In fact, many times, they were directly connected to the church on the same property. And so the spiritual condition of the patient was just as important as the physical condition. Not so today, because now the majority of hospitals 
are professional buildings in the public sector. And you might say, well, big deal, Pastor Scott. That's just capitalism as it, at its best. The problem is that now our mentality has switched as a nation to whose responsibility it is to care for the elderly and for the poor and the sick. According to God's word, it is not the government through social services that's supposed to meet the needs of God's people. It's the congregation. Just a couple of quick verses in the New Testament about how the church uh, operated. In Acts 2, 44 through 45, it says, And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And then in verses 34 uh, and 35 of that same chapter, There was not a needy person among them, for as many were owners of land and houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to any who had need. And so, perhaps you're sitting there today and you're thinking, it's kind of idealistic, isn't it? <laughs> you know, distributing everything as everybody has need. In fact, I don't even know what my neighbor's need is or some of the people in this congregation. But do you know who does know some of the needs of the congregation? The elders do. Regularly, we, we receive uh, letters or emails or have conversations with people who are struggling right now. Maybe they're going through a financially difficult time. Maybe they have some medical bills that are piling up. Or perhaps, I think the flagels aren't, well, yeah, they just had, what, your house catch, well, the microwave malfunctioned, right? and you know, filled up the entire house, and now they're battling with the insurance companies. And so there are regular things that happen all the time in the congregation. And so what you can do is, if you have a heart for that, of wanting to see that distribution of the wealth, so to speak, when you have more than enough right now and you want to give to those who are struggling, you can just give it to a fund that the elders have that they can distribute. And so we pray regularly about people that are going through uh, struggles and difficulties, and then we help them out with money that's been given to the church for that particular reason. And so, maybe you need to cut back something in your life for a moment to help somebody else out. Maybe the Lord is prompting you to do that. And so, we have a condition here. There's a condition that's connected. It says, God says that he provides for those who fear him. This is not some social program where we're trying to stop world hunger or the poverty, poverty of the world. This is the body of Jesus caring for itself, right? Caring for itself. How many of you have ever had a really bad splinter, right? You get a bad splinter and you're just, you're looking at it in your hand or your arm or something like that. It's pretty hard to ignore, right? In fact, you'll wake up in the middle of the night and you'll just start digging at that thing trying to get that splinter out because you know that an infection's going to occur. You know it's going to get worse and worse. You can't ignore it. But many times the body of Christ, we actually ignore the splinter. And then that part, we wonder, well, what's wrong with our church when that part's dying off and we don't have the benefit of their spiritual gifts any longer? So we need to look for... 
the body and the health of the body to make sure that these things are going well. Look, we can't fix unemployment in America, but we can sell that field in whatever form it takes and lay it at the elders' feet to be distributed among those who have need. Beyond this provision of daily needs, we see that God remembers his covenant toward his people in the congregation. Jesus said that he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. He did not say, by the way, I will build my man or I will build my woman and the gates of hell will not prevail against them. And by the way, I'm not against church ministries out there or a particular man being risen up. The Bible is full of individuals who were promoted to a particular place of leadership at a certain time. But I have a big problem when it becomes a cult of personality. I'm following this guy. That's why I have a major problem when people move churches when a new pastor comes. I didn't like that guy. I'm moving. I'm taking my toys and I'm going to go play somewhere else. Is it the guy you're following? Or is it the Lord who brought you to this church family for a reason? If you leave, you're taking everything that you're uh, part of your church is here, you're taking that with you to a different congregation or somewhere else, or maybe you're not even going to a church anymore. And so it's very important that we remember we're committed to the Lord first, not an individual. Not even these individuals. We're committed to the Lord first, and that's why these relationships can work. It's the same in your marriage. It's the same in your friendships. If you're getting married because you think that person's going to make you awesome and happy, you're marrying them for the wrong reason. First of all, you're submitted both to the Lord and then to one another. The third and final reason we see here in coming into the assembly is probably the most important. Throughout history, most of God's work has been done among congregations. The work of the gospel. Even missionaries who had gone out to do amazing things in the power of the Lord were sent from congregations. And that was super important because they had accountability, right? We have a particular mission here, uh, my father's home. And Kim and Brian are the main people that are running that. But it's from this congregation that that happened, that they got sent out to do these things. And the major support is coming from this congregation as well. And I think that that helps safeguard things. I, I get a little worried about rogue Christians, lone wolves. I'm starting my own thing over here. I have no connection to any accountability at all. And I think it's super important, too, for your pastors that we come from a place, a denomination, where there are safeguards around us, right? If I freak out and start preaching heresy and go off the deep end, you have people you can call, right? You have people that can come in and be like, whoa, Scott, what happened to you here, right? And can help you navigate that situation. That's very important. I picked up a book at a thrift store for 49 cents called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. <laughs> and one reason that the author states that we should work and become rich is because then we have the power to do things and have stuff. <laughs> I suppose that's correct in an earthly sense. But the kind of power that I really want to see cannot be bought with money. 
It's the power to change lives, the power to fix marriages, the power to overcome death. And some people will say, well, Pastor Scott, why are we spending all this money on a building? Why are we buying HVAC? Why are we paving a parking lot? Why are we doing all this stuff? Shouldn't we just sell the building, meet in people's homes, and then all the money could go to work out in the streets? And so what they're doing is they're diminishing the importance of a building, okay? I actually got on a phone, the phone call with a, a mentor of mine back in Minnesota, and I asked him about this very question. I said, what's your answer to when people say that kind of thing? And he said, Scott, there are sacred spaces that God has set aside for his particular use. Not only in the Old Testament did we see the temple, but we also saw synagogues. And many people skip over that part in the New Testament when the church began. They focus on the, and they met in homes part. But they forget about the part that they went to the synagogues and spoke weekly, right? They were still connected to their local congregations. And so God sets apart these spaces so that we can do things that we normally couldn't do out in our homes or at a park or in the woods or whatever it might be. And so as we do the work, we are feeling sometimes like we're just maintaining a building. But this is a place that work is done. And this is how we do this in our particular culture. But we sometimes can get lost in the building and forget about the main thing, which is the power of God working in the lives of people. This is just a space that that's done in. The main importance is the people. The main importance in your House is not the house itself, it's the family that meets there and the amazing relationships that are developed through friendship and community. Relating to that, there's a story of a young four-year-old boy who almost died and he claims that he went to heaven and saw some things in heaven. He's four years old, right? And he was answering questions that you normally couldn't answer as a four-year-old, so that's why people believed him and a book was eventually written called Heaven is for Real. One of the things that happened to him was when he came back from being almost dead, or being dead, he began to see things spiritually that normal four-year-olds don't see. And so one day he went to his mom, and he said, Mom, sometimes when Dad is preaching, I see power from God coming down on him and out to the congregation. And I was like, I felt that. Not all the time, (laughs) Sometimes it's like a lame duck that just kind of flew off the end of the pulpit and dropped on the floor there and flopped around for a while. But sometimes I feel the power. The power that people are getting it. They're changing. Something's happening to them internally. They came to the congregation. They heard the message, and now it affected their life. And that's the kind of power that we want to see over and over again. That display of power that can't happen when you're not gathered together, when you're isolated and by yourself. And I'm not saying God can't work in those situations. He obviously has done that for many people. But most of it happens among his people. Another thing that the psalmist recalls in the assembly is God's faithfulness. He recognizes that Israel has been through a lot. And they're going to go through a lot more. And so when we come to church, we have the opportunity to hear about God's faithfulness in other people's lives. That's why I love doing the testimonies. 
have people sit in my office and tell me how God has affected their lives. That's why when we hear about Barry, who knelt right here and received prayer and is cured from cancer, that encourages us, right? But you wouldn't know about it if you didn't come to the congregation. People who've been through trials, people who are still going through trials. Geneva is the best example of this to me, and I'm sorry if I call you out, Geneva. I've known you for a long time. I've never met anybody who's got more physical problems that's more joyful in my life. I'm just baffled sometimes. If it was me, frankly, I'd be in my bed crying, I think. I wouldn't be out telling people about Jesus. Well, maybe I would, because the power of God on her, her life. And she's not sitting at home. She's not crying in her bed. She's here to proclaim the victory of God over her life to you. And I'm thankful for that. But you might say to yourself, well, Pastor Scott, people are kind of, the people I meet in church, they're kind of selfish, egotistical, hypocrites. But as my old pastor used to say, always room for one more. In conclusion today, at the end of the psalm here, there's a statement that's often quoted. He says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And what exactly does that mean? In the context of church attendance, it means that my God is holy and awesome, and I do what he commands me. And when I do what he commands me, I learn wisdom. Right? Do we know better than the Lord about how to live our lives? God, you don't know about me. I do better isolated. No, you don't. God designed you to be a person that was in the midst of a congregation. Even if you're introverted. Here's a shock. This is going to shock some of you. I'm an introvert. I'm introverted. But I become functional, right? I don't let my introverted nature keep me from being among the people even though it might look a little different than that, you know, the bubbly person who just gets so excited. I mean, yesterday, sorry, Ruth, we went to your, you know, memorial thing. We're downstairs, everybody's having the, you know, my, the most dreadful time of my life, right? Sitting among a bunch of people that I don't know and having to make small talk with them. And so Mary, she's like the opposite of that. She loves that kind of stuff. And so she's sitting there, and she kind of starts looking at me because I'm getting this look on my face, and she knows me really well. We've been together for 26 years. And when I just said, honey, and she's like, oh, we probably should go, huh? (laughs) Before I start to melt down, right? You can be introverted. You can be extroverted. You can be whatever you want to be, and you can come here and be part of the congregation because you have a gift to bring. God has given you something to bring to the table. I'm going to leave you with an example uh, that Chuck Swindoll Uh, made famous. On my BMW, there's uh, an indicator that shows when the tires are getting low, okay, which is kind of a cool feature. And so I don't have to go always and check it. And it actually tells me which tire, too, you know. And so I fill that thing up. And there's not like a nail in it or anything. It's just that the tires, in the winter especially, they get low and they need to be filled up. And we're like that. (laughs) We leak over time. We need to be filled up again. And this is the main place of the filling. This is where you get filled up in the Lord. You come here, you worship, you hear the word, you fellowship, you sing. All of these things, you pray. And so we need 
to be filled up. Have you ever tried riding a bike with nearly flat tires? It's tough going. And sometimes people, I talk to them, they haven't been to church for a long time and their life is pretty tough. I'm like, yeah, no wonder. You're not getting filled up. It's hard going when the tires aren't full. And so you can continue to try to live your life on your own with low tires, or you can come and be filled in the midst of the congregation. Let's pray. Father God, I pray for this essential part of our lives, church attendance. Lord, help us to make it a major priority. That it would take a catastrophe to have you miss church, Lord. Just to have us miss church. And just just pray for each person here. That they would come and be filled and and give testimony. And Lord, do their part as, as part of the body and bringing the gifts that they have, Lord. We thank you for Elam. Lord, let this not be the generation where it dies and goes away. But let us continue on in this work, faithful to the work that you began 54 years ago. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon series from Elam. If you are encouraged today, would you consider supporting our online ministry through a financial contribution? Personal checks can be made out to Elam Lutheran Church and sent to 11504 26th Street, Northeast, Lake Stevens, Washington, 98258. Or you can give online at elamlutheran.net. Thank you and may God bless you the rest of your day.